Hello, good day, and welcome back to Le Pup Scientifique, uh, the pain podcast. My name is Bart van Buchem. I'm a pain specialist physiotherapist, and um, I'm welcoming you back again. Um, I'm here today with uh, Bernard Taxa, uh, or Bernard Taxa, uh, I have to pronounce it correctly, I guess, um, from Austria. He's a physiotherapist, has a background in maniotherapy, and has special interest in chronic pain, headaches, and neuropathic pain in particular. Uh, as a lecturer of the FH Joanneum in Graz, University of Applied Science, he teaches um, physiotherapy mainly, or he may correct me if I'm wrong, um, but also uh, sees patients in a clinical uh, setting where he's also employed or working in a, a primary healthcare center as a physiotherapist. Um, more recently, he um, he finished his PhD, or it's at least it's it's um, there for um, the the last bit, right? So um, some people have to look at it whether it's uh, it's good enough. <laughs> well, you should be alright there. But this thesis is um, applied. Uh, you apply with it yeah. for the for the final bits, which is exciting because the um, the subject um, is is really interesting. It's all about um, somatosensory testing compared to psycho and social outcomes in patients and how they correlate and everything that goes around, which is uh, exciting. So thank you for joining me, uh, Bernard. It's, it's exciting to have you. Thanks for your invitation, bud. Thank you. Yes, yes. And, and um, <clears throat> we know each other for a bit um, as we are both teaching for Neugroup, uh, explain pain courses and um, uh, you've been there for a while in the in the area of postgraduate training so um, so I, I really I think we have a very similar background in interest and, and also in the way we have been able to uh, design our lives around this topic in, in different ways so um, so my first question to you Bernard is what excites you in this in this area or in this perhaps in this these times of pain science, but also regarding to your work and your more recently your thesis. If I think about the aspect what me excites most is that there is a, a very quick development in the field of pain sciences, which also stresses me out because the, the changes are so quick that it's really hard to, to keep an actual approach and to keep um, at the state of the uh, of knowledge, and this is, um, I think, one of the yeah most interesting facts that the, every year there is something new, and there are some new aspects um, we have to try to implement in our clinical uh, work, which makes it even then more interesting to work in this field with the mm -hmm. patients. Uh, because you always have to keep updated. I, I, I have the approach to keep updated. And uh, in the last 10 years, I've tried to focus on uh, some special interests in the pain field, which uh, concerned chronic pain and the neuropathic pain, and especially chronic headaches, chronic facial pain. Um, because I think, like in all the other parts, we, we can't... Um, uh, um, we can't uh, split that, but in in this field, the biopsychosocial approach is uh, so obvious all the time 
and um, that's why I focused on this yeah field with headaches and migraine especially because I also think that physiotherapists probably I can speak mainly for the German speaking part in Austria that physiotherapists can do much more in, uh, in the field of migraine and chronic migraine than we thought before and it's not just treating cervical spine um, I think it's much more we can do um, to help those patients with um, an ongoing disease which it is actually and uh, we try to find now if there are some other aspects we can target and we can think about hmm. So what is the, 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 the biggest shift there? So I, I think everyone, obviously, we we're aware of migraine, and which is you know, as a neurological, neurological disease today. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, where would you feel like the, the added benefit has really evolved over the last years compared mm -hmm. to, because mm -hmm. I think therapists have been treating people with headaches forever. Um, mm -hmm. um, but what has changed? In your perspective i think we now know a little bit more about the pathophysiology of of migraine though it's not even clear up what it really is and there is one shift and i remember a paper i think it's from Meitzels, the author some it's quite old and i even mentioned it in my master thesis 10 years ago and they call migraine um a neurolimbic disease and this was something I, I thought was very interesting to look at migraine in this way as a neurolimbic disease and not in a, uh, in a only neurological disease or trigeminal vascular disease. And um, the, the whole psychological impact in migraine is now um, much more seen and also um, included in the treatments. So, Every neurologist who works in this field of migraine in a deeper, in a deeper way uh, will say, okay, we have to think about the emotional and psychosocial aspects as well. And the treatment with medication or the monoclonal antibodies we have at the moment for the chronic migraine is one part, one really important part, but the other parts are lifestyle aspects. The other parts are... Um, nutrition uh, as well as um, movement and also the hands-on approach is a very important approach we still have in migraine if we screen it in a proper way and this is what happened in the last i think five to ten years to find out which aspects are important for a physiotherapist to screen and then to treat and not to just blindly deep into migraine, okay, and we know there are some cervical aspects and then treat the cervical aspects without screening them. And we know there is a psychosocial aspect as well, but not um, properly testing it before. And also which parts in psychosocial aspects are really important. And it's something I, I found out, found out, but there is a tendency um, and, a, and a idea of my PhD thesis that anxiety probably is might be more important to to screen than depression actually and yeah if if 
I, I think if we don't screen and test for some things, we should not treat in a like in a in a in a it sounds hard in a shotgun way, yeah, just to shoot in and something we will hit something. This is uh, I think uh, out. It's not yeah. state of the art. So where, yeah. where do you, because this is obviously, this is part of something you've been thinking about as a result of your thesis. And mm. where does the, so when it comes to anxiety, you've been pretty um, clear about that. Mm. So how does treatment of anxiety in people with migraine looks like for a physiotherapist? Or is it a typically a referral to the psychologist? Yeah, this is typically a, re typically a referral to a psychologist or psychotherapist. Uh, to find out what the causes might be for this anxiety. If there is anxiety connected to movement, um, I think this is some part we have to, to manage as well. We can manage, like we know from other um, body parts, low back pain, where there is a great connection to anxiety to movement and kinosophobia. But if we find out that it is connected to this, then the, the physiotherapist can as well work on that. But um, if there is an, an, a disease connected to anxiety or the, the distortion is so, so big, we are not able to manage this by ourselves. So we need a multi-professional approach. Uh, but before saying, okay, I can feel there is some anxiety. I can feel there is some depression. I can maybe hear it uh, in, in my assessments or in my subjective um, assessment. Um, I have to test it. I have to find it out. And uh, I think by using a cluster of tests, using questionnaires or something else, um, it's possible to find it out. And the, most of the patients, before they see a psychotherapist or psychologist, to see a medical doctor in Austria mm. or a physiotherapist. And I think the physiotherapist might be a good um, way to have a connection to the other professions because the mm. fear and the stigma is not so big in the, in the physiotherapy field. Yes. I hope I'm clear what I mean. Yes, that. absolutely. Now, the, the, the first thing that came up with me where, where I personally found out that some people do have these uh, symptoms and signs that fit to anxiety, but not necessarily as a pathophysiology. Like they would never get this diagnosis of, let's say, a generic anxiety disorder, or they won't be having panic attacks. But so a psychologist will say, or a psychiatrist will say, actually, this is nothing that this person is very worried um maybe this is a maintaining factor instead of a pathophysiology um yeah. how, how do you feel about is there this distinction where you can see this cutoff when things are really pathophysiologists patho <laughs> or when it's really yeah. um or sort of pathological or whether it's more ma as a maintaining mm. upcoming or factor yeah. in, in general yeah actually this leads me to the chicken egg question mm. yeah, as well, um, which nevertheless leads us to, to the idea if the anxiety has some kind of cutoff in my testing, um, whether it is a cause or it is the, 
the, the aspect that follows to a pain disease, if we, can, if we may call it like this, um, it needs some support from a psychologist or psychiatrist. And uh, the diagnostics of an anxiety disorder, a real anxiety disorder, is not our business, but we can find out if the aspects of anxiety um, in some questioners maybe is that high that we can guide the patient to have a deeper look into this aspect and then to treat it as well. So if the, like you said before, if the psychiatrist says, okay, this patient is just worried and we help him maybe with, um, okay, with some medications or with psychotherapy, then um, this is a parallel um, treatment to the physiotherapy treatment. But uh, the diagnostics, if it is an anxiety disorder or not, actually is none of our business, I think. Mm. But if we see aspects, okay, he's, not, he's more than worried. I, feel, I have this gut feeling, he's more than worried. <clears throat> and I do the yeah. questionnaire after talking to him, okay, I have the idea, and as you know, migraine or headaches are also connected to stress levels. And I would like to test that. And if I then see, okay, there's a big score in anxiety or there's a big score in depression, then this helps me to discuss with the patient proper solutions. And one of the solutions could be, okay, go into deeper diagnostics in a psychiatric way or um, um, having an appointment with a psychotherapist. Yes. And then, and then the, the connection is, in, it's, it's, it's worked out in a real biopsychosocial aspect, I think. Yeah. Um, but just to say, okay, we, we know that in migraine, there are some psychological aspects and everybody has to go to a psychiatrist or psychotherapist is very, um, it's not very serious. It's not very, uh, yeah, it's, Probably we need more psychologists then. <laughs> uh, probably, lot. yeah. And I think what we also need are more um, physiotherapists that are informed in psychology. That's yeah, right. we are not. We are not the psychologists. We are not the psychotherapists. We have to be informed about psychological aspects. The psychologically informed physiotherapist. This is so, something I really, I really would. Um, like to educate also more in these aspects because we need this this knowledge. We don't need the um, the way of and the and the art or the the background of treating and working mm. then with patients in this in this way. But we need the the background. Totally, yeah. I can see that there's a there's a bit bit a bit, bit of a gap, I guess, in the but, but I know there are lots of physiotherapists who. Mm have this background um the other way around i see, also see psychologists are more interested in the body <laughs> in a way yeah. it's a bit yeah. uh ironic though where we're sitting on our island like the bio psychosocial and in yeah. the end we just have to probably need to meet each other in the middle uh, with the patient yeah. Uh, yeah. obviously yeah. that's interesting so how does this fit into your thesis because what what was really interesting you did some really like sciencey stuff with people like qst mm -hmm monitoring um sensory laterality so you have to explain mm -hmm. some of that but uh, can you can you explain why and you came up with that uh, that part and and what it what it what did you find out 
Um, the idea of using those tests, I will um, declare shortly, um, was from other body parts, CRPS, um, back pain, and also some, some chronic um, diseases like frozen shoulder. There are already um, studies that have looked on laterality judgment. And also for headaches, there is one study, one small study, even by, by Kerstin Lübke and Julian Edelheim in Austria. They had a look into laterality judgment and treatment also for um, episodic migraine patients. And I wondered if there are any connections between those, um, let's call it sensory motor or sensory motor um, tasks and sensory tasks or sensory aspects, maybe, and emotional aspects. And I, I, I wanted to, to find out if those components are in any connection to each other. And so I made a paradigm. In the first part, I used questionnaires for depression, anxiety, stress, alexithymia, um, central sensitization, and I, I had some uh, special headache questionnaires to find out the grade of headache. The second part then was laterality judgment of the hands, the neck, and the face, mm -hmm. facial region. Like we know from uh, chronic facial pain, where there are some um, yeah, signs and symptoms to, to lead us to treat this also. And the last part then was... No, before I had the facial emotion recognition, which is also very interesting uh, stuff used in psychology and in neurological diseases. And then the last part was the quantitative sensory testing. We mainly know from neuropathic pain states. There already is a, a big review, I think three years, four years old. No, it's old, a little bit older, five years old, where... Um, the, the authors looked at the quantitative sensory testing in migraine. And one aspect there was that none of the studies made the whole bunch of testing in quantitative sensory testing. And I had the motivation then to do the whole stuff, like it is written in the protocols. <laughs> um, so this whole testing took me about three hours per patient. And after that, we had a big load of data uh, in, in a sensory way, in a somatosensory way, in a uh, the judgment, the laterality judgment uh, components and also the, the questionnaires. And then we had to find out, okay, which aspects are now interesting to bring into correlation. And then we tried to find out if there are any correlations in the migraine group between um, the emotional aspects, the central sensitization, and also in the quantitative sensory testing. The interesting point is that if I also have um, a healthy group, a healthy control group, and it's not so easy to find a real healthy control group because it was uh, interesting that those that had none, uh, no headaches or no migraine, most of the time had something else. <laughs> it's 
very interesting that it was not so easy to find a really so-called healthy control group, which is also comparable to the migraine group. Mm. And my chronic migraine group uh, on the other side had so many other aspects of, of diseases like uh, uh, quite an amount of, of endometriosis or some rheumatological diseases, which also was very interesting because the only difference we found out between the two groups, healthy and migraine, was in the central sensitization inventory, um, which is uh, described or uh, developed by the group of Schoenais in, in Belgium. I think he's in Belgium. Yeah. I think you had him in a in a in a talk yeah, also. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, and um, this was the only the only aspect in the whole battery which had some differences. Which now you can say, oh, this is not surprising because we have chronic migrant patients and healthy patients. But this idea led us to the to the other idea of theory that you could use the central sensitization inventory more in chronic migrant patients as well, maybe also as a, not only for a screening tool, but also for a um, reassessment tool, which is an idea. Um, and in the group itself, in the migraine group, we found some very interesting correlations between some points of emotional um, how to say in English, auffälligkeit and emotional aspects, emotional components um, due to um, the sensory components also in the testing. And we have now also an idea which tests we can use in the clinics out of the quantitative sensory testing, which are helpful and which you might skip, which uh, you don't need. You probably won't need, you probably won't need because the, the data is not that hard, but there is a tendency. Um, you probably won't need vibration testing in chronic migraine. You probably won't need um, the testing of a stimulus response in changing like you use for neuropathic pain if you test for allodynia. Uh, but you can use um, temperature testing and you can use heat pain thresholds and cold pain thresholds where there is uh, um, yeah where there is uh, not really not it's not statistically it's not significant but there's a tendency that those aspects are helpful and you can um, develop and this is maybe our next step in the project you can develop a, a nice cluster um, of special questionnaires and sensory components. And this is also interesting, probably um, no, mainly, mainly sensory testing, not, not really facial emotion recognition, but um, using emotional testings or questionnaires like the DAS, helps us in combination with um, uh, sensory components. Then. So, so it's, not, it's, not, it's not helpful to use the whole battery, but you, we can use some um, parts of it. Yeah. So, so just let me get this right. So that you, mm. in summary, the, the quantitative or the sum of the sensory testing does have some value. 
it doesn't mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to do them all take the three hours mm -hmm. like you did it's mm -hmm. not um no. it's clearly not having any so is this um whether what is the definition of value or helpful is that how does this guide your treatment, for example, yeah. or either a psychologist, a neurologist, or a physiotherapist? So these outcomes, how could somatosensory testing, or even using the central sensitization inventory, how yeah. is that? How is that guiding your therapy? So once you um, uh, assess, there is a correlation in migrant group between um, central sensitization inventory and the wind-up ratio. So if you have a high score in the CSI, it makes sense to make a wind-up ratio, which means we pinprick and see um, that this ratio of um, potentiation of an of an high high impact um, this might correlate. Yeah, this is one tendency, and this also leads us to an idea: if we do the treatments, we know that might help in migraine, like. On a, on, a, on a subjective way in, in pain days and also in the pain intensity like endurance training, moderate aerobe endurance training, or also the, um, the treatment of uh, musculoskeletal aspects. We know you should test uh, six, five to six tests described at the moment that have a high value in testing. And it, this could help us to have a reassessment again, if there is a high CSI, test the wind ratio, do your treatment and test those aspects again to see that those um, components in treatment help us in a, as well sensitization way and also in, a, in this uh, sensory component of uh, QST like wind ratio itself. So there seems to be some value in using it as an evaluative so yeah. to evaluate your treatment yeah. Yeah. um yeah and you've seen so this also correlates with the person's experience like lower levels or let's say a, a, people do respond differently to the pinprick mm -hmm. once they mm -hmm. also feel better uh and they also might change have changed in, in a lower um let's say that no lower numbers or the scoring of the csi yeah. lists should yeah. be a bit lower is that is that correct? Yeah, this is an idea. Actually, this is the hypothesis yeah. that uh, we have now. If we look at our um, data we have at the moment, so that you could use those components as a reassessment. Yeah. Um, after uh, the treatment period. Yeah. So, actually, we have now new ideas um, out of our work uh, with QST. Um, in implementing a clustering of tests mm. and see how that goes, how responsive that is to yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because at the moment we don't we we don't really have biomarkers in migraine. We we have uh, we know that there is a high amount of uh, in the pathophysiology of of migraine of CRP. It's a peptide, carcinogenic chain related peptide. Which is also the, the main target in the pharmacological um, point of view, but we don't have a biomarker. And we have maybe the idea of some markers in a musculoskeletal way, but also in a sensory way now. Um, heat pain thresholds 
cold pain thresholds, wind-up ratio, and those connected to uh, several aspects in um, central sensitization inventory and emotional aspects like depression and anxiety. So if people with a higher amount in the DAS score, it's a, it's a score for depression, anxiety, and stress, also might score higher in the sensory profile. And those components could be the evaluative um, markers. Yeah. And it makes more, it makes, I think it makes our, our screening more specific and also our therapeutical point of view more specific. So not only using, no, I have to say it in a different way. This also might lead us to use sensory training in migraine, and mm. not only the other aspects. But this is a this could be another another uh, project. Yeah, I think yeah, this is what I wanted to say. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that idea of moving it so with different different strategies. I guess mm -hmm. what I what mm -hmm. I what I so I'm I'm pretty know and I know pretty well what, what this CSI questionnaire is it's very much about spreading where, where is the pain it's basically everywhere um mm -hmm. so is it is that what you're saying is that some people with migraine we do have this widespread symptomology yeah. um yeah. are more likely to have also anxiety and they may need have more coaching and they need more lifestyle treatment and have to be aware of their diet or their nutrition so yeah the more like on top of the migraine seems to be a yeah. reason to take this to a more rehab um to a more rehab um approach generally instead of keeping it there with the pharmacological approaches only yeah, yeah. i'm i'm completely uh, it's hard to say it like that but i'm completely sure about that that this is the direction we should go in managing um, chronic pain anyway, but especially in chronic migraine, we know so much now about lifestyle aspects, though we don't know what what you have to eat, especially because there is no there is no evidence that a certain certain food leads to um, a migraine attack. But we know that the the way of eating yeah, in a regular basics, uh, the, the not in a stressful way also that sleep is a very important um, aspect and this again leads us to to your last um, podcast with uh, Jonais about epigenetics and all this um, uh, lifestyle aspects that influence epigenetics and i think this is something we can look in in the chronic migraine um, very specifically at the moment yeah so we, we have to go a step further in implementing lifestyle uh, changes, adaptations, probably, and we can test them out as well. We should, yeah, absolutely. We should, we should, yeah. <laughs> well, leave it to the experts, I would say. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, th this is great so far, and I think there are a few amazing take homes here so so one of the things that really resonated with me um and you said in the very beginning like migraine as a neurolimbic disease 
that, yeah. that sort of stick with me. Um, we don't have to dive into this because it's something we, we don't have, we don't have the time right now, but I think it will mm-hmm. resonate with many listeners um, because it can mean, it can mean different things, obviously, but uh, it does say something maybe more sexier than biopsychosocial mm-hmm. to some degree for some people, at least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In times like this, probably, yes, if we look at social media, then where there is a big discussion uh, about those, those, uh, biopsychosocial ideas and uh i think actually most of us are talking about the same so yeah. we need another wording probably we need we need some different wording uh, to come together that's what i think yeah. yes and i think the, the the aspect of neuroinflammation in migraine is also uh, a component we have to look at more in a more sophisticated way probably yes yeah, yeah. we're probably going to do that at some point with the pub as well finding some yeah great uh neuroinflammatory uh experts around so it will be cool mm-hmm. um a final question for you bernard um because we're gonna finish here for a bit and um if we're going to give you two people to invite for a pub session uh well, just for you exclusively probably somewhere in Graz <laughs> or maybe Salzburg because I know you born in mm-hmm. Salzburg um, bring them to the best pub you you can imagine and have a great evening who would it be I have to I have to mention that I was bo- born near to Innsbruck so Innsbruck. Innsbruck. sorry Innsbruck yeah yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Salzburg, but Salzburg, as Salzburg I, I made the PhD thesis at the university in Salzburg but uh, oh, in sorry, Innsbruck I'm, I'm mixed up. if I if I go to a pub there um it's a difficult question but if I I if I stay in in the physio area and in the pain area at the moment I think I would like to bring together um, Ronald Melzak and Anina Schmidt, because um, Anina is uh, one uh, scientist. I, I really think she does an amazing job in her field as a physio and did so much in the last years for, for understanding more about neuropathic pain. Mm. As a, and also as a as a woman um, in a in a leading in a leading role, it's very important. And I think Ronald Meltzik is uh, is also uh, would would be uh, great to know in a in a philosophical uh, way to see how he now thinks about science today and yeah. also the the clinical mission. And he was a psychologist, and I think. Um, bring those those uh, point of views together would be very interesting. Uh, uh, a man and a woman, both leaders in their field, to discuss with them and drink a bottle of wine or two would be very interesting because um, I, I could I, I learned so much from them. Mm. And of course, there are many people. I would uh, bring together <laughs> the, the third person maybe would be David Bowie. So uh, this will be then very interesting in a pub 
with those three be, guys, yeah. but if it's only two, so I stay in the physical in the physical therapy yeah, line. Yeah, I think you you, you two <laughs> two amazing people. Ronald Melzer, yeah. he obviously died a couple of years ago. Um, four uh, years ago, 20, I think, yeah. Well, yeah, twenty nineteen was it? Yeah, nineteen. Yeah, December nineteen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, this, I remember where I was. <laughs> I yeah, yeah, it. it's, uh, uh, it's the same. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and Anina Schmidt, she was already, uh, she was already um, uh, being uh, invited for the pub. She was, uh, she's presented in London for us. So it was, there's a good, we got some good memories with Anina. She's, uh, yeah, indeed, she doesn't great. I think you, you choose some amazing company. So, um, hopefully, that will be a nice dream. <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. Because it yeah. won't happen, but it, it will uh, would be great to <laughs> to have Anina uh, at some point again on our podcast as well. So yes. basically, basically yes. sort of a recommendation for now. So uh, let's get it there. Um, all right, we're going to finish this podcast for now. So um, thank you, Bernard. This was um, lovely to have you. Um, very insightful, and all the best with your future work. It's there's lots to do. Thank you. <laughs> there is a thank lot. You. And uh, I um, hope it was yeah, interesting. And yeah. Absolutely. Great. So thank you. Uh, for everyone, uh, thank you for listening. Um, this was another episode and we will be back in two weeks with another exciting guest and uh, trying to get your um, get, get some interesting stuff again. So uh, we've got people lined up, so it will be easy to fill the, the podcast. Um, um, hopefully you enjoy this one again. And uh, thank you. Bye-bye.